0: Has the evangelical church lost its integrity, its credibility? What does it mean that the church must, quote, lose its religion in order to regain its soul? We'll answer these questions and more with our guest and good friend, Dr. Russell Moore, executive editor of Christian Today and author of a brand new book called Losing Our Religion, an altar call for evangelical America. I'm your host, Scott Ray. And I'm your co-host, Sean McDowell. And this is Think Biblically, a podcast from Talbot School of Theology here at Biola University Russell, so glad to have you with us again. Uh, you, oh, one, you're, I'm
1: always thrilled to be with
0: you. You're, mm. one, of, you're one of our very favorites here. Uh, well, likewise, and appreciate so appreciate your book. Uh, you know, it's, this was this is one to read slowly and carefully. Um, and my guess is it, it's also it sounds like it's the culmination of quite a long spiritual journey for you. So, how, how would you summarize the backstory behind this that motivated you to write it at this time?
1: The the backstory really came out of a bunch of conversations that I was having uh, with people who were coming to me and saying, "I'm just almost in a place of despair," hmm. and I was actually also having that conversation myself with 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 people that I trust and working through that sense of is is everything. As crazy as it seems, and is there an off ramp to all the craziness? So it was, it was working my way through those conversations. Really, was the the starting point to write the book.
2: We had you on about five years ago, which was close to the beginning of this podcast. Interestingly enough, you were one of our early guests. Thanks for joining us. But I distinctly remember you said there were some subjects of which you asked us not to go there, namely uh, related to a particular controversial candidate named Donald Trump. But in this book, you don't pull any punches, not only on that topic, but on others. What's changed?
1: Well, I decided when I wrote this book that I was going to speak very honestly and bluntly as I could Mm. uh, to people as as though I were sitting with them, talking to them, Mm. because... It's 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 at a place where I think that there are a lot of people who simply say, well, just let's just focus on the good things. Uh, and and that leaves a lot of people saying, I, I must be the crazy one or people who are saying, well, everything's lost, abandoned everything. And I'm not in either of those positions. So I said, I'm just going to come with my whole vulnerable self. And there were times in writing this that my wife would say to me if she's reading along, "Um, are you sure you want to say that?
2: (laughs) Been there and done (laughs) that. Yes, we have. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, hang on. So did she win out or did you win out on this one? Uh, I – I won out mostly
1: on, mm. on this one. There were okay. a couple of times where I said, yeah, you're right. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll not, not say that that way. So and a lot of it had to do with, you know, I think there was um, there was somebody who said uh, that uh, oh, are you going to have a, a tell-all where you go through a specific evangelical, leaders and so forth. No, that's, that's not, um, that's not what I'm trying to do. And the, and the reason it's not is because I think the problem's a lot deeper Mm. than just this figure or this personality or that personality. And because honestly, uh, that's all so unpredictable, uh, right now. I mean, I, I can look back and one of the things that I've, I've learned and that I, wrestled with in this book is that there were some people that I never would have imagined to have the grit and integrity hmm. and uh, maturity and and everything else you can imagine. Um, and, and so I've, I've often been surprised in both directions. Hmm. I think that uh, times of crisis tend to reveal that.
0: Now Russell, I suspect uh, many of our listeners will... Recognize the term "losing our religion" from the the popular rock and roll song, um, mm-hmm. but what what do you mean by that term? That uh, and you're you're obviously encouraging us to lose our religion in some, in some sense. So w- help our listeners understand what exactly you mean by that.
1: Well, there was a moment in which I I really became worried about uh, a woman that I knew who was Roman Catholic. Uh, and who posted on her, and a very devout Roman Catholic, and she posted on one of her social media feeds uh, just that video of REM's uh, "Losing mm. My Religion," which has become kind of uh, shorthand for walking away from one's faith. Right. Uh, and some people checked in on her, and she said, "No, I'm not. I'm not walking away from my faith. I'm just really upset and frustrated right now." And over time, as I looked at what that song actually was about, it, it really wasn't about losing faith, although one could credibly take it that way. Uh, it was about the application of the the Southern expression, uh, I'm going to lose my religion, meaning I'm, I'm about to uh, speak and act in a way that doesn't have any uh, – uh, doesn't have any grace to it because <laughs> I'm, I'm about to lose my religion if I have to s- sit in this uh, line at the DMV one minute longer or something like that. Uh, and the more I thought about it, the more I came to see that those actually aren't two different things right now often, that there is a crisis of faith that's happening that is uh, rooted often in genuine anger um, at, some, at some awful things. And so I, and the more I thought about it, I also thought about the way that I would always roll my eyes uh, every any time that I heard a fellow evangelical say, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Sure. Uh, and, and I would say to myself, it's both. Religion is not <laughs> a bad word. It's in James 1 and uh, and so forth. But— the more I've thought about that, I've thought, well, what, was, what is intended when that statement is said? And what's intended is that Christianity is not just a religion and that often that kind of um, cold, dead, lifeless structure has to go uh, in order to follow Christ. And I think, I think that that's what's going on right now. In this time of shaking, God's, God's making a lot of things that we thought were really stable uh, come apart and creating some new things. And that's, that's disorienting for, for a lot of us.
2: I've been studying for years, almost every study I can get my hand on, why kids leave their faith. Mm-hmm. And you made a unique contribution to that. You've said it's not so much what Christianity teaches— but that they don't think we believe what Christianity teaches. And to yeah. flesh this out, you, si- you raised a certain question. You said, what if people don't leave the church because they disapprove of Jesus, but they've read the Bible and concluded that the church would disapprove of Jesus? What makes yeah. you think this is the heart of the problem, why so many people are disengaging the church?
1: Because if you look at... If you look at the reasons that are uh, given for people losing uh, trust and confidence in the church as an institution, um, they they seem to be disconnected. You know, some people will say it's the politicization of the church. Some people will say it's all of the scandals. Some people will say it's the the sexual abuse uh, revelations that are there. Actually, I think there's a common theme to all of those things, which is, is Christianity just a means to an end? And if so, tell us what the end is. Uh, and that's particularly heightened in a time when, um, you know, there, there was a time in which people felt culturally hemmed in in some places in the United States. So they, they couldn't walk away. Uh, from their faith without just an extraordinary will to say, I'm going to be an outlier uh, in my community. Those days in most of the country, those days are gone. And so you you really have this sense of, I'm, I'm having to reevaluate all of this. And it sure looks like a lot of it is just marketing or mobilization or something else. Um, now, I don't think that's True when it uh, when it comes to the gospel or to the church, but I certainly do think it's true in a lot of uh, institutional forms. And so the people who conclude that, you know, I several times over the past several years, I've had secular, um, non-believing friends who said to me, "Now, have you ever come to the point of of losing your faith in in, in all of this?" And I, I've always said, "No." but I think it's because I had already worked through, hmm. uh, you know, the, the key to, to parenting, they say, uh, adolescents is to give them manageable crises, uh, that they have small scale, uh, problems hmm. that you don't keep them from, but you help them to, to work through those. And then they can apply them to the bigger crises later on. I, I really had that happen uh, as a teenager going through that. And it, it sort of inoculated me to this confusion between Jesus and what goes by the name of Jesus. But there are a lot of people who haven't had that experience. They haven't had uh, people in their lives to show a different way. And so one can easily understand how they would conclude, well, this is just a fraud.
0: That's really helpful. I I suspect that that's part of the claim that you are making that the evangelical church has lost its identity um uh, yeah. what what has it become in your view
1: well there's there's a reason why uh, often when i use the word uh, evangelical as recently as an hour ago uh I, when i use the word evangelical with someone saying, well why use that word it has it has become so bound up either with one particular kind of political action or with scandal and and so forth. And what I'll always say is I don't know of an alternative and I don't want to just surrender that word. Uh, But it is a a confusing time uh, for a lot of people who are saying, is this just another way to express um, who, I, who I am in, in terms of some tribe or the other, or is this transcendent? Is this above all of that? And so I, I think that there's a great deal of confusion coming in with, with that. And I think there are many reasons for that, but one of them is the loss of a kind of congregational uh, cohesion. If you just look at uh, the, the numbers and the statistics of how many people who are completely comfortable calling themselves evangelical Christians uh, who never go to church. And indeed, when I'm talking to people, the person who says, I don't want to use the word evangelical is usually uh, someone who doesn't want to use the word evangelical because they're so committed to biblical authority and Mm. uh, the necessity of new birth and, and so forth. And then I look around and I've got some people I grew up with who are posting Christian memes on Facebook all the time who haven't been in a church hmm. since vacation Bible school, sometime in the first <laughs> Bush administration. <laughs> yeah, so so there's there's a, a, a kind of identity a crisis here. Um, and I think one of the things, one of the things I think that evangelical Christianity, particularly if we define that the right way, brings to... Uh, the church and to the world, is this understanding of the personal uh, aspect. You you must be born again. You don't come before God uh, group by group, tribe by tribe, nation by nation, village by village, family by family, or even church by church. You come before God uh, one by one. Hmm. And I, I think that can that emphasis can be distorted as any emphasis can, and can become a kind of individualism. But when it's rightly put in its context, it it really is signaling. No, this isn't just about joining another ideology. This is about a a transformation. And so that uh, that I think is really at the heart of a lot of our identity crisis.
2: Two-part question for you about Christian nationalism. First off, Mm -hmm. how big of uh, an issue or maybe some would say a threat do you find it uh, to the Mm -hmm. church? And how would you contrast it with biblical Christian faith? In other words, how big of an issue is this? And what, at its core, do you think Christian nationalism gets wrong?
1: I'll take the second uh, question first. I think that Christian nationalism is not... Uh, just uh, an aberration off of Christianity. I think it is an entirely different religion. It is uh, a heresy. And I think what Christian nationalism does is to take um, the symbols, the the rituals, the authority, in many cases, of uh, Christianity and apply that as a means to an end of ethno-nationalism. This is a huge problem, to get at your your first question, for a couple reasons. One of them being that uh, you can see Christian nationalism emerging all over the world. It's happening all over the world with a lot of key common uh, characteristics. Uh, You see that with uh, the co-opting of the Russian Orthodox Church by Vladimir Putin. You see that in France and in Germany and in the Netherlands and and in various other places where there are movements that are Christian, but what they really mean, if you press the the leadership, what really means to be Christian is to be French or to be German or to be Dutch or to be uh, something other than whoever the outgroup is in the United States, one of the things that people will say is, "Oh, well, you shouldn't even dignify Christian nationalism by uh, by talking about it because it's such a fringe uh, movement." And that is not true. Uh, yes, you've got a lot of people in congregations who are uh, who, who would not. Uh, subscribe to all the tenets of uh, Christian nationalism, just as with other things. The prosperity gospel, for instance. The prosperity gospel was a huge problem not because of what it was doing to one particular wing of TV evangelists or, uh, or Pentecostals, but because it filters out In all kinds of ways where people don't even don't even know where ideas have come from, but they start to believe that those things are are the case. And that's that's exactly what's happening with Christian nationalism right now is there's a and sometimes the way you see it is not so much in ideas as in adrenaline. Uh, What are the things that cause somebody to become? afraid and, uh, anxious. And in, in almost every case, uh, these days, I, I can't tell you the last time that I've had to adjudicate a fight between two Christians over the Trinity, uh, or, or over Christology. It's usually over, uh, some of those questions of, of, identity that are rooted in something else. I mean, I I, I knew of a, a couple uh, where, where there was almost a, a wedding that was almost disrupted because uh, the bride's couple were very concerned about the groom's couple, uh, the groom's parents, because they didn't vote the same way. And this became a big sort of confrontation that you would think would be uh, almost Matthew 18, along the lines of finding out, oh, my daughter's marrying into an Asherah cult or something like that. Uh, that was what really energized. Uh, and, and I think that's part, of the, that's part of the draw of a lot of these ethnic identity, nationalist, populist, or authoritarian movements is it gives this feeling of life short-term, and and I think that's a really dangerous illusion.
0: Well, I can't even imagine the dispute over who you voted, voted for disrupting a, a wedding ceremony, not to mention a marriage. My goodness. That's wild.
1: Well, they uh, I think they got it worked out before. I uh, hope before so. That. But wow. the fact that they even had to have that conversation yeah. is a, a sign. Of yeah.
0: Something. Russell, there is so many insightful points in the book uh, and some things that I hadn't uh, frankly, I hadn't thought about before. One of the things you point out is that uh, one of the ironies of our own present moment is that our evangelical church wants to feel like a dominant majority and a beleaguered minority at the same time. And I, I mean, I can see we're wanting to be one or the other at different times, but I think that's a really insightful observation that we are lamenting, sort of looking back with nostalgia to the 1980s, and then, but also, you know, the, the fear element sets in. And we see ourselves as this beleaguered minority both at the same time. How, how do we get to this place of wanting to have this both ways at the same time?
1: Well, psychologists and sociologists uh, will, uh, can, can demonstrate that resentment and grievance are the strongest uh, when there is this sense of, um, of a loss of status. Somebody's taking something away from you uh so amanda ripley who who does really good work on conflict uh talks about the fact that she she went golfing with a friend one time and she was terrible at it and she laughed and it was no big deal she she wasn't humiliated by that or embarrassed by that she said but if i had been tiger woods and had played that game of golf it would have been a it would have felt like an existential threat and it would have been absolutely humiliating because you're the best golfer in the world arguably uh and so that that really has has taken root for a lot of us a sense of well we're we're really the real america and most people are with us and yet we're persecuted and um and mistreated. And one of the reasons I think that that happens is because it's it's very difficult for us to see the world the the way the Bible uh, frames it to us. That's, that's why we have so many admonitions in the New Testament to don't conform to those patterns, but hmm. renew your mind. It's very hard uh, to see that. And so it's very hard to see that every era is an era in which there is darkness, and every era is an era in which there is grace and light. And so there aren't times when uh, you're victorious and times when you're defeated as a church. It's, it's, It's the common situation from the resurrection forward. It just manifests itself in different ways. So when you have that sense of Status humiliation. Uh, people don't respect me in terms of my religion, and if that's if that's your audience, um, and you really care about that, then you add to that this sense of uh, I'm I'm going to lose everything. Uh, if someone is going to come and take this away from me. That can be a really really dangerous mix because what what the frantic reaction to that usually betrays is a lack of confidence hmm. if you, you know, there's there's a uh, hmm. Jewish uh, writer who said at one point identity becomes the loudest where it's the thinnest And I think we have we have seen that where people don't have a confidence in terms of who they are or what they believe they they tend to become more anxious more, Uh, angrier, more resentful, more filled with grievance. It's just not the way Jesus is. Mm -hmm.
2: Russell, I'm really curious how you'd assess this Twitter feud that I saw recently uh, in light of your book. There were two millennial leaders, both with a significant platform, one more to the right, one more to the left. And Mm -hmm. the one to the right sent out a tweet, and this is just my recollection, something like, nobody can ever vote for a party that is in favor of slaughtering the most vulnerable amongst us. You don't have to vote for any other political party, but this is morally out for a follower of Christ. That was her take. Uh, From the other millennial came in, as far as I can tell, and took huge issue with that, namely because of certain political leaders, I think maybe it was on the right or more so not as sensitive to immigrants and raised one or two other issues. Mm -hmm. How do you make sense in and weigh in when you see that kind of debate taking place on Twitter, which clearly caused division and certain name calling and people weighing in uh, who are clearly both, broadly speaking, evangelical Christians?
1: Yeah. Well, I think the uh, the reason that we have uh, that kind of rancor is because of the, the particular moment we're in right now in which uh, there is a sense of, I have to be wholly identified with my party or my political movement. And so you have a sorting out of people in which they they really don't have the uh, ability or don't feel the ability to say, I'm with this party on these things and with the other party on these other things. And I can affirm the things that are good and oppose the things that are bad that we're, we're in a cultural moment where that never happens. And, and it creates a sense of, there has to be a longing for home and for belonging that's been transferred to politics because we've lost it elsewhere. And so I would, when I look at that sort of a debate, I would see that as more of a symptom uh, than I would as, as a problem to be solved. Hmm.
0: Russell, is, I wonder if that's part of what you mean by uh, making peace with your homelessness, your, your mm-hmm. own political and cultural homelessness. Uh, and if so, Help us in a little bit more detail of what that looks like in practice.
1: Well, if you if you look at the example of Jesus, one of the things that strikes me is the way that um, all throughout the Gospels you have people who are uh, who are trying to figure out where he is in terms of their tribal boundaries. And what Jesus never does is to say, uh, I'm not with the Pharisees, so I'm with the Sadducees. I'm not with the Sadducees, so mm-hmm. I'm with the Zealots. I'm not with the Zealots, so I'm with the... He, he transcends those things and has a sense of uh, belonging that is just different than that. And I think, I think one of the things um, in Gospel of John, Jesus knowing where he came from and where he was going. And I think if, when you lose that, then you're going to have this frantic need to find uh, a home. When in reality, I mean, one, of the, one of the things that Walker Percy uh, really insightfully uh, talked about in his book uh, Message in the Bottle back uh, you know, four, probably 50 years ago is that um, the normal human condition – is one of homelessness and longing. Uh, there's there's a reason why, and C.S. Lewis talked about this uh, too at the end of Mere Christianity, that there are these longings that we feel and we can't uh, satisfy them, but these are signposts to something else. You're supposed to be missing this. And so there's a kind of homelessness that that is part of what it means to be in the faith. They went out, uh, Hebrews 11, not knowing where they were going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they had wanted to return to their homeland, they could have, but they were seeking a different city. And I think that that's the normal Christian life. But when we don't have that expectation, uh, then we're going to become really threatened. If we if we don't uh, completely feel at home or completely belong. And what that ends up doing is it it actually means that I can't give myself uh, to my home and to my neighbors because I expect too much of them and I expect them to meet needs that they can't meet. And so if you have a, a different kind of belonging and a different kind of rootedness, then you make peace with the fact that I'm not always going to feel uh, completely at home. And, uh, and that's, that's all right. And I say that um, not just at the kind of theoretical level, but at the gut, visceral, personal level. I mean, there, there's a lot of shaking going on uh, right now in the world and in the church. And sometimes you have people who are saying, well, w- we need to have a, you know, a seven point plan to turn this around. And I don't think that's the way that God works. I think that that part of, uh, part of what it means for God to do a new thing is for us to come to the point of saying, we don't know. What to do? We don't know uh, which direction to go, except that it's whatever direction Jesus is going in, and our eyes are on you. But we don't know exactly what's going to happen, and that—that's not just uh, in in terms of the broad sweep of the church or the world. That's that's personally. I had a a friend who had lost his job, called me one time and said. He's trying to figure out what to do next and he said, I think if God were speaking to me right now he would say and he had a, a list of things and I stopped him and I said, you know what if what if it's the case that if God were speaking to you right now he would say nothing because that's so often what happens in in scripture is it seems as though that that hiddenness of God uh, actually is doing something. God is God is speaking in that in allowing somebody to come to the end of their um, of their their own resources and to be able to see something different. Mm-hmm. And I really uh, I came to that the hard way uh, because there was a, there was an older man uh, in ministry who said to me at one point I was going through a very difficult time and had a kind of dark view of the future. He said, you know, if you look back at your life and you ask, where was God most active in the sense of, of doing new things in my life? He said, I'll bet you it is not in those moments of triumph hmm. and elation.
0: Here, here. I bet
1: it was almost yeah. always in those moments where you look back on them and you think uh, at the time you were thinking, where is God? God was doing all of this stuff at the subterranean level working it out like yeast and i think that that's I, I think that's an understanding it's difficult for me to get to but i think it's the right one
2: one of the themes in your book is just how christians ought to engage culture today and there's a lot of skeptics or people who would just say that given how hostile our culture is to faith and biblical morality winsomeness is equivalent to weakness. And along with that, it's not effective. We've moved beyond the time for that. What we need to do is fight. What hmm. say you?
1: <laughs> well, I will say that that's a fundamentally anti-Christ uh, uh, equation. Hmm. Uh, forget winsomeness, whatever that uh, whatever that means. Uh, when it comes to Kindness, gentleness, self-control, these aspects of engaging with our neighbors, um, that's not a strategy. It's a way. And one of the things that Jesus is uh, teaching us is that it's not just the ends. It's also the, as Eugene Peterson used to put it, the ways and means uh, by which we get to those ends. And I think, what what difference does it make how frantically you fight if at the end of the fight, you're Barabbas? And I think that's that's the lure that's always out there for uh, Christians. And so you will have, sometimes I, I mentioned in the book that um, I, there was a time years ago when I was reading Wendell Berry's Jaber Crow and there's this uh, this moment where uh, Jaber, who's barber, is cutting somebody's hair, and the guy's ranting and raving about all his enemies, and Jaber says, I think, turn the other cheek, love your enemies, and the uh, the, the guy says, you know, where, where'd where you get those those communist talking points or something like that? And I remember <laughs> thinking at the time, well, that's a little on the nose. You know, that, that conversation wouldn't uh, happen just that way. And I am stunned by how many times over and over and over again I have pastors say to me that they're having the exact same uh, mm, wow. situation where yeah. they just sort of parenthetically say, turn the other cheek, and they'll have somebody who'll come up after and say, why, why are you coming up with that liberal mush? And when the pastor <laughs> says, well, I'm, I'm just literally quoting Jesus Christ— the response, and this is the part that was surprising to me, because I would have thought, well, that's just biblical illiteracy. It, the response wasn't, oh, well, sorry, I need to I need to go back to Sunday school a little more. The response is, well, that was fine in a neutral culture, but it doesn't work in a hostile mm, culture. Yeah, it doesn't work anymore. Mm. Well, Jesus did not deliver the Sermon on the Mount in Mayberry. That's right. He was... Speaking in a context of a Roman Empire armed to the teeth, willing to say, "If you don't get in line, we will literally crucify you." And so, the the idea that uh, that Jesus was in this uh, placid golden age, and so therefore uh, taught uh, the Sermon on the Mount, if you can afford it, uh, is just is just completely antithetical to the authority of of Scripture.
0: Russell, this is this is as we've expected. This is such a rich conversation. Uh, and I so appreciate the insight and the wisdom that you have in the book, and I appreciate the fact that you're not pulling any punches, uh, and that you you told it honestly and straightforwardly and and openly. Uh, I think you've you've done the church a real service and the uh, the altar call for evangelical America. I think, is to go to go back to what it means to genuinely follow Jesus. And if that means losing some of the traditional religious trappings uh, that have kept us from doing that, then so be it, and we're better off to lose those. Uh, but thank you so much. I want to commend to our, our listeners, Losing Our Religion, An Altar Call for Evangelical America by our good friend Russell Moore. Uh, it's been a really rich conversation. Thanks so much, Russell.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. Always good to talk to you.
0: This has been an episode of the podcast, Think Biblically, conversations on faith and culture. Think Biblically podcast is brought to you by Talbot School of Theology, offering programs in Southern California and online, including our accelerated Bible theology and ministry program. Students can earn a bachelor or master's degree in just five years. Visit biola.edu slash Talbot in order to learn more. To submit comments, ask questions, make suggestions on issues you'd like us to cover or guests you'd like us to consider, you can email us at thinkbiblically, that's all all one word, thinkbiblically at biola.edu. Enjoyed our conversation with our friend, Dr. Russell Moore. Give us a rating on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening, and remember, think biblically about everything.